The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 31 of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week's guest is one of my personal favorite drummers, the great Aaron Sterling. Aaron is, um, man, he had a prolific couple of years. If you go to allmusic.com, check out the credits for him. And that's just a partial list. He made a lot of records in the past two years, including John Mayer's latest release, Sob Rock. So we talk a good bit about the making of that. And then it's uh, we go deep diving on everything from drumsticks to snare drum choices to wires and you, know, you name it, how to layer, how to program, all that stuff. So this is a really fun one. Hope you enjoy. And let's get into it with Aaron Sterling. All right. First question, most important, what drumsticks are you using? <laughs> uh, I use a ton of different drumsticks. I, I, um, it just depends on the song. And then my answer, I bet my answer to everything is going to be, well, it sort of depends on the song. Everything depends on the song and the drum. I have, um, I mean, yeah. I, okay. So there's a stick that I use a lot. The Glenn Kachi. Uh, I, it, there's a lot of, it has like a lot of names active wave or something like that it's like 14 names on one stick but technically <laughs> it's his signature stick um and with pro mark but then i probably have seven to ten other sticks from them that i like that just for whatever reason the, the, every nuance of it depending on the song and the cymbal and the drum and all that that i'll use and what i do is i just have this big bucket just fill everything's kind of somewhat organized Mm -hmm. And I just grab sticks depending on the songs. Um, Cause I find, I mean, like if, if I don't know, I like a longer stick, I suppose, but yeah, I don't know. It just depends on the song. Sometimes I play shorter sticks cause it makes me sound different. Yeah. Why the Kochi stick? That's a weird one. It has like a ridged grip. Yeah. Or something. Um, well, w when my drum tech and I, we were talking about uh, switching over to ProMark and, uh, and they just sent a bunch of stuff, but I said, I like, like, again, sometimes I'll use a shorter stick for like a specific purpose, but like, typically I just like longer sticks, but like really, really long, like 17 and a half or something like that. Um, and so they were like, we don't have a lot of those. So we, they just sent me everything they had in that length. And I loved that thing. And yeah. it had something similar that, that coating I like is kind of cool. I like the, it has a weird coating and then the ribbed thing is just weird. I don't really know, but I, <laughs> I like it. It's a cool stick. Yeah, but it's too heavy for certain things, but but it's cool, yeah. All right, I'm going to dive in. So it sounds like on the, the last John Mayer record, you're playing a lot quieter, which is why I wanted to open with drumsticks, because I feel oh, like okay. drumstick choice and dynamics are, are often overlooked. Yeah. First of all, were you playing quieter than usual on that record? I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't think any, I don't think it was any quieter than any other record I've made with him. Mm. Um Maybe on some songs, I guess I'd have to listen to each song. It, it's song dependent. I mean, yeah, there, there's definitely some songs where it was like I was this kind of guy, but then like Last Train Home, I, I think I was pretty hitting pretty hard. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it, it depend, I'd have to listen back, and I, I might maybe you're right on some of those songs. When was the last time you listened to the record? I don't when know <laughs> when it came out. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I absolutely love it. But yeah, when it came out, probably. Um, so that was a while back. Yeah, I don't know. What was that? Six months ago? 
It's been a while. So did yeah. you record that all remotely or were you able to get into a room? Most all of it was me and John and Sean Hurley in a room for an entire year. Yeah. Five okay. days a week. Yeah. Some, there are definitely some things on there that, that I did remotely here and there. Um, and sometimes he'll send me stuff and I'll start a song remotely. Uh, but just the way he likes to work, every record he makes, it's like five days a week for a full year, almost to the day. Mm. Um, and, uh, and it's just that way nonstop. Uh, and so that's how we've made every record that I've ever done with him. I think every record he's really done is, was like that, maybe with the exception of his first one. But yeah, so we were in the same room the whole time. That's pretty wild. How are you able just, to? The, the drums were in a small room. We tried a couple different rooms, but I think pretty much everything drum wise on there was done in in a room. I mean, I've been in this studio a million times making a lot of records, but we don't usually put drums in there. But we figured out a way how to do it, and it was really cool. But a very small room. So did you do like, oh gosh, how many songs on the record? Twelve songs. You do like one song a week, or you do like a hundred songs? I mean, how what was the process? We probably recorded a total. If I had to take a guess, and I could be off, maybe a total of like twenty-five songs. Uh, but it, the, it's hard to explain his process. But you're just whittling away for a year. It's mm -hmm. not like we're going to work on this until it's done. That's never how it goes. We're going to work on this. Don't work on this. Then tomorrow we'll go back. Then tomorrow we'll just think about a snare drum choice on that one song. Then the next day we'll start a third song. And six months later, you've done a lot on 25 songs or 20 songs, but they're not even close to being done still, according to him. And he wants to redo them and he wants to think it through again. Then you revisit those same songs multiple times. It's like you're workshopping a bunch of songs for a long period of time to see if they stand the test of time, I guess. Interesting. Do your parts yeah. change much from the first? Oh, instant? yeah. Oh, absolutely. All the time. Yeah. Like Last Train Home is a good example. He started playing that we were in the middle of recording a song. And I think there was some technical issue. Uh, and so he and I are just sitting there waiting for something to be done. And he starts playing me that song but he's playing on an acoustic guitar because that's what he was using to track whatever song we were working on at the moment and he's playing it in a style i thought it was like sort of like super super halftime neil young type of thing and that's just how i thought the song would be and then that's for weeks i just figured every time he mentioned that title i was like oh yeah it's that thing and i started playing this group and eventually he's like i don't think that's what it is he's like i think this is gonna be like a big like 80s thing i'm like oh okay but we had already gone through multiple iterations of that song at that point until he starts mentioning that. And now I'm like, oh, well, shit, I, we got to do something different. Um, hmm. So, yeah, every song is like that to some extent with him. That must um, just kind of knowing how you go about choosing gear. You must be tearing down kits constantly with him to try all the time. Songs. And what's great about John is he doesn't care whatsoever. Um, if if you say out of nowhere, hey, I need an hour and a half. He'll be like, great, let's eat. And he's there's literally no part of him that's gets flustered or like, oh, I thought we were gonna. He's like, whatever has to be done, has to be done. So at any moment, if you say, I really, really think I need a new kit for this. I know we're in a zone, but where we're heading, this kick drum is totally wrong. I feel like it needs to be this type of snare. To be honest, I think we need a, a new reverb compression type of situation going on. He'll be like, say no more, just do your thing and let me know when you're done. And he'll go sit in his other studio he's got in this studio he's got his own room it's just 
it's like we just it's really nice process the idea is to like do whatever you have to do for the song um so yeah my drum tech was there every day and we're constantly just switching stuff out incessantly yeah so what gear did you have at your disposal i mean with john i kind of we just sort of bring everything and there and so you have a lot of stuff inside the studio in the room and then you have stuff lined through the hallways we're, we're those guys where it's like everywhere you go in the studio it's just road cases filled with shit. um just kind of like i don't know a ton, i probably probably had like thir- 30 snares sitting around somewhere in the building and then probably you um i guess i don't really think in terms of drum sets because it's mostly kick drums and toms and i just do whatever i got to do for each song but yeah i don't know i probably had like 10 kick drums and 10 sets of toms um and then just buckets of cymbals Mm. cymbals are probably less important i find with him it's usually more about the kicks and snares and and toms was there a a one snare or kick that you kept going back to for that record? Well, I, I would say in general, and I don't know why this is, but the, the kick and the, the, the kick and toms that I seem to go to the most with him from the day I met him. And when I, we made the record born and raised is this old seventies Slingerland kit, 2012, 14, and it's tuned extremely dead. And the kick drum is, it's really small, has no um, uh, head on the outside and it's just super tight. And for whatever reason, that just seems to work with him. I don't know why he always loves it. I always love it with him. It just makes sense. So we used a lot of stuff, but that's always seems to be the, the majority of, of the stuff. And in terms of snares, I, I don't know if there's a specific one that that's used a lot. I, I switch. Uh, probably every song has a different snare on it. I would guess. Mm-hmm. What is your um, like home base cymbal setup? Uh, I don't have one. Yeah, I, I mean, I've never had one. I don't have any specific. Yeah, I mean, anytime I do a session, it just they they'll just set up whatever because it makes no difference because I have to hear the first song and mm-hmm. I change every single time I hear a song. See, I don't have anything that's like, oh, this is where I start. I don't have any starting point ever for anything. How did you manage all the other, because I was looking at all music. You were busy as heck the past couple of years. <laughs> How did you yeah. manage all these sessions while he had you locked in five days a week for a year? Uh, it, it's brutal, but basically the way he works is it's typically around two to ten or mm. three to ten, something like that. Uh, so I would do songs in the morning. I would just, it was, it was a lot, but I, I didn't want to just stop working for all the people that I work for. Um, cause there's hundreds and hundreds. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I, yeah, I, I don't like the idea of being like, Oh no, I'll just take the mornings off and then lose all these people. So I was getting up at like, you know, taking kids to school and then starting probably around eight and just doing, trying to get two or three songs done before I would be with John. So all that was done in your space? Yes. Now, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, I would say probably 92% of all the recordings anybody ever hears me on, I do at my own place. Mm. And then the other 7% or so, apparently, apparently 92 plus 7 equals 100. <laughs> I didn't know that, but that's news. <laughs> um, uh, fake news. Uh, yeah, the other percent is just going to be like whatever, just some other studio or something like that. But pretty much everything I do is at my place. 
So when you, this is when, because I just moved to a new space as well. When you yeah. moved to a different room, did you have to rethink everything, tuning and mic placement and learn the space? I would say just the last part is just learning, but I don't, man, I built a new room and it is absolutely incredible but technically speaking there was no way to know that it was going to be incredible it could have been horrific mm. uh, it's not like i'm that smart of i didn't design it in a way where it's like oh trust me i know what i'm doing i don't know what i'm doing at all i did design it in a way that was i thought was going to look cool and sound cool but i don't really know what i'm doing and it worked out amazingly it's incredible but um yeah i just had to learn it and i, I lived with it with no treatment whatsoever and I have, we have like 23 foot ceilings too. So mm. I did no treatment for a while because there's still a lot of stuff in there. There's drums everywhere. There's diffusion by virtue of just stuff. Um, and eventually I got some more panels and slowly started putting panels up, but not even on the walls, just modular panels. And um, I like to like sit with a room for a while and like not, not immediately just judge it, but you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. kind of see what it does well and then just, sort of slowly fix it um but i don't like putting stuff on the walls if i don't have to uh and i haven't had to it's been really great is there like a sweet spot in the room that that is where a mic has to go i haven't found well yeah i've got this new 251 mic that i like a lot and i have found a, a particular overhead position that i just think is incredible um but then it's like drum dependent then the next day i don't like it as much because it doesn't respond well with that kick drum for whatever reason mm -hmm. uh, so i don't know if there's any magical spot yet i don't know uh but i'm still experimenting i mean the room mics the really far room mics are pretty incredible because they're really far they're like all the way up to the top of ceiling and then as far away from that as possible and those are cool are they aimed at the kit or you have them aimed at the walls they're essentially aimed at the wall they couldn't be aimed at the kit because of the way the room is configured that the microphone couldn't even see the kit. I mean, you could be aimed at essentially where it is, but no, it's just aimed at the walls. It's re yeah, it's really, really cool. That's pretty wild. How often does that get actually used in what you send out? I guess you, I guess you'd have to, to ask the mixers. Um, cause I send, you know, I'm always recording it and I always give it to people. Um, uh, some songs I would definitely guess people use it for sure. And then others, it's, it's got just enough distance that like, if once you pull those up, like it's very roomy, super roomy. So I guess it depends on what they're going for, but sometimes I'll hear a song on the radio and I'll, and I'll be like, Oh yeah, they definitely pumped those room mics up for sure. Cause I can just, I can hear that tone in there a little bit. So last time we talked, you were definitely pre-mixing everything before you sent it out. Is that still the case? Or are you trying to get it a little bit more dry going out. Oh, just in terms of individual tracks? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's always just whatever I think the song needs. And I always make sure that there's some malleability just in case if somebody's like, wow, that's overprocessed. I don't want it that way. That track's overprocessed. Fine. But eventually they'll get to some stuff like this. I'll have a stereo overhead pair that sounds really beautiful and full that's not compressed, not EQ'd, eh, a little bit EQ'd, but just very nice, basic sounding or a snare and a kick that are essentially pretty basic sounding. There's always some options. I always make sure there's a few options, but I don't want too many. Like I just, I don't know. I feel like more and more people are asking me to help with the sound of the drums. They're not just asking me to play the drums. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I think some other drummers are, are like, 
It's like, just play on it, man. It's it just, you do your thing and we'll figure out the rest, but maybe it's cause I'm not good enough of a drummer. I'm like, I just feel like more, I'm more of a co-producer in terms of the sound of the drums. Uh, and, and when I don't do that, I think people are disappointed. They're like, you know, I've tried that a few times where I just kind of like let somebody else figure it out. And I, I, I can tell they're, they feel like, what, what, what did I pay you for? You know what I mean? So like, I just think that's part of what people were wanting from me. Oh, interesting. Do you factor that into your rate then? The time you got to spend? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everything eventually, you know, after having done it for so long, I feel like I know what I'm worth and, and, and what this particular product, so to speak, that I'm giving is worth. Um, yeah, it's all factored into that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think of it as like an additional thing. I think of it as like the price is for me to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that all done kind of organically as you're tracking or do you do more of that after the fact? I would say it's like 50, 50, you know, that it's that thing of like when you discover a new plugin that, you know, it just doesn't really exist in hardware. You're like, dang, man, I, maybe I need to like use that more often, which then means I'm doing a little bit more after, mm. but then sometimes I'll get a piece of hardware. I mean, I'm definitely doing EQ on the way in on almost every track to some extent. Sometimes it's very little. Sometimes it's a lot. I'm doing com- most, all of my compression is on the way in. I would say and even some like reverbs and delays are on the way in. Um, it just depends here and there. I'll just start fine tuning and mixing and thinking like, why are the drums not speaking enough? And then I'll just start compressing more on a kick drum channel or adding some space to, you know, one of the like, like fun mics or something like that. Probably mm-hmm. 70% on the way in 30% on the way out is the maybe a good ratio. Now, what about editing? Do you supply edited tracks or yeah. not? Yeah, it's for me. It's all it's all just depending on the the type of song and and where I know it's landing. So if it's for example like uh, super pop radio or country radio, like if I really know the producer and I know where this song is heading in the world, so to speak, you know what I mean? Um, and I and I'm on on programming. Like there's already programming that I've done or they've done. I know those drums have to be gridded. You can say you don't like it or you can have a philosophical problem with it, but I don't. But um, for that type of song, I know the drums have to be gridded and I would rather do it because I can't even tell if, if it's working yet. Because hearing that flaming, I don't even know how the low end sounds. Mm. So when you have two kick drums and they're not together, then you don't really know how the song sounds. But when you put them together, now you know it's either good or bad or maybe you need to work on this like like i literally can't even process the drums from an eq or compression standpoint until they're lined up with the other kicks because they haven't created the cumulative sound that they're going to create eventually so for me everything is a funnel like we're heading towards like the funnel we got to get to the end like i just want to get to the end so um i'll grid the drums if i have to if it's that type of song if nothing else, just so I understand closer to what that song's going to be and what it needs to sound like. Now, what and, about- and I'll give them the gritted drums. Every once in a while, if I don't know the person, I'll just text them real quick and say, hey, the mix you just heard that you said you liked, those drums are gridded. I don't care. If you want me to take it off, I'll take it off. Couldn't care less. Totally up to you. But 99% of the time they go, just give me what you what I heard. I just like what I heard. Give me whatever that was. I don't care if it's gridded or if you're a perfect machine or whatever you are, just give me that sound. Mm-hmm. So 
That's usually what people say. Does that, if there's programming, does that affect what instruments you choose to play? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And my biggest rule with people sending me songs is make sure if there's programming in the song currently that you know you like or that you think you like, that you think is going to stay in the song, make sure you leave that in the track and the the drum programming that's just for reference that you want me to replace, make sure that's separate because I have to play to as much of what's going to be in the song as possible. Um, my biggest pet peeve is when people say, oh, I, I, I put all the programming and, and fake drums all in one track. I'm like, well, but now I don't know how to play to the mm. shit that you said is going to be in the track. It's like, and then they have to reprint stems. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's all one sound that ends up happening it's just one mp3 file that people hear and it's just a thing and so as as much of that thing that i can hear the better so if there's like a 808 kick versus like a 909 kick what would you pick if you had a super subby program kick i mean i you know i guess I, i can't say without hearing the song but but typically yeah i wouldn't worry about anything with too much low end um a lot of times now I'm not, I'm not always mix. I, sometimes I will actually just send a stereo mix of drums. Uh, but assuming I don't, obviously they're going to get all the, the, the tracks, right. Mm-hmm. But when I'm sending a mix out for approval, just to know that they're into it, let's say there was like a hardcore 808 in the song. I might even mute the kick drums. And so what they'll hear, they'll be responding to and loving. They don't even realize they're not even listening to a kick drum. Like, Maybe I played it, but you're just getting a little bit of a transient through the overheads or something like that. Um, yeah, just, yeah, I mean, it just depends on on what the song needs. But in those cases, if you already have a lot of sub information, you probably don't need more. Um, mm-hmm. um, I'm always, in those cases, I'm always thinking of how can I help to supplement what what's already there and what, you know, what can we do to add like some sort of organic flavor to it or whatever. How's that relate to snares? If there's like a lot of snaps or tight hand claps, do you go drier? Do you try to go the opposite? I mean, for me, my approach typically is just, let's say you have a song that has this programming and there's some 808s and there's claps and stuff. My biggest thing is to ask the producer, okay, what are you missing? You're sending it to me for a reason. So what is it that you're missing? And I usually just try to go, my instincts are based off of what adjectives they use in terms of what they're missing. And a lot of times they'll say something like, well, you know, the sounds are very pop radio, but it's just missing something human, something organic, something with a little bit of feel uh, dynamics, they'll say a lot of times. So for me, it's a little bit less like, oh, we have to use this type of sound. It's more like, how can I just help in general make this sound like there's a human being involved? Um, So it, it really, really depends. And, you know, maybe there's a section where I feel like you need a, a really loud, distant snare drum in the chorus, but maybe the verse is tighter. You know, I, a lot of that stuff, I just piece together one thing at a time. I don't play it as a drum kit. Mm, that um, was going to be my so, next question. Is yeah, how- yeah. I mean, yeah, every song I did yesterday, I did three songs, uh, three different artists. All of them were done. There's like 25 tracks and it's a lot of stuff, but all of it was just one thing at a time. Because it's it's the, it's like sometimes that's the best way to do it. It's just keep adding until you think you've done too much. Um, and I'm just trying to find frequencies and different emotional points that are missing, you know, in the song. And thinking like, ooh, if that one sound that I'm hearing in my head was right there, that'd be kind of cool. And then I just work on that for 10 minutes. 
Mm-hmm. And then I just keep adding really more of a percussion programming type of thing. Do you enjoy that approach versus playing the drum set? I love it. I just love both. Mm-hmm. Um, if I do too much of it, eventually I just want to like sit back and play the drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, but honestly, I think I'd be pretty bored if all I did was play the drum set. I mean, I know I would. Uh, it's just, it's fun, but it's it's not as rewarding for me as, as a lot of other drummers. I like to make records and I like the puzzle of making records more than I like anything about drums. Mm-hmm. So I just happen to be good at drums so I can use that skill the way you can use that skill and all these drummers can just, they're like, oh, I know how to do this. And all these people go, I don't know how to do that. That's so cool. But I think of it more like that. It's like a skill that I have to hit drums well, but I'm not d- dying to like sit behind a kit and play. I just like, I like songs a lot, mm-hmm. you know? So whatever I can do to help a song sound better is my main focus. So there was a Chick Korea quote that kind of has been haunting me for a while where he says, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but if you don't hear it, don't play it or don't play something. If you don't hear it, something to that wow. effect, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which disturbs me because oftentimes <laughs> I don't hear anything. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. What if you yeah, don't yeah. hear anything, but you know, you need to do something. I mean, what, where, how, you know, how often are you going from just try stuff versus I actually hear something. Let me execute it. I, I feel really lucky, man. I always hear something. Mm. I mean, or meaning that every choice that I make is led by something I'm already hearing in my head and desiring and like wishing was right there. So we hit the second chorus and immediately I'm like, God, every time she says that word, if we just had this thing and I have it all in my head mapped out um, and I feel like that thing is going to help the emotion of it. Or I feel like this, what I could give you a billion examples, just hypotheticals, although they're all based on real events, you know? Um, Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky that I always hear it. So for me, it's like pretty easy job because all I'm trying to do is figure out how to create the sound that I'm hearing. Mm. And it's not always easy, but at least I have a, a map uh, and I feel very confident in it too. I'm not saying everything I do is perfect and I'm sure people mute shit. I do all the time, uh, but, but yeah, yeah. I feel led by the thing that's in my head already. Has there ever been one of those ideas that just was the wrong idea once you've actually peered into the physical world? <laughs> Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I I remember that yesterday I had probably like, I added 25 tracks. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm sure there's certain things that producers will get to and eventually say, I don't like that. So from someone else's perspective all the time, I'm sure people think, eh, maybe not so much that yes on that. Yes on that. No on that. Uh, But even from my perspective, I was absolutely convinced on one song I was doing yesterday I had some shaker pattern and maybe I just didn't play it well enough, but I mean, I gave it a good 10 to 15 minutes until I was like, this is just dumb. Um, (laughs) But it takes, but it also, for me, it's important to not dwell too much. It's like, fine. It's not working. Maybe it could work if another guy was here and he did it a different way. I don't know, but I don't care moving on, you know? And I just, I just kept moving to other ideas and I never ended up missing it. And I'm sure the song will be fine, you know? Uh, but yeah, sometimes I'll try something and for whatever reason, it's not working, but I try to not stay on something for too long. You know, if I don't think it's working. Now, what if you hear like three totally different approaches for a track? Do you take all three of them all, all the way out or you just go with one? Yeah. Sometimes if, if that's the case, 
I almost always have to talk to the artist and producer first because I don't want to waste my time. Mm-hmm. And I don't really want to waste their time either. If, if if there was a song where you're like, dude, this could easily be this style over here, or it could be totally this style. Like this sounds super lo-fi. And yesterday, actually one of the songs yesterday truly could have been this very lo-fi minimal underwater drum type of thing because the vocal was so gorgeous and it could be a very understated drum thing but in the back of my head i had this feeling i would do that and they would be like where's the drums like mm-hmm. you know i don't know why i had this sinking feeling and i was right uh, when we talked it back and forth i realized no they want to hear like real drums hi-fi full frequency um so i i've gotten good at knowing just you got let's talk it out a little bit because you'll probably eventually get something from the artist or producer that tells you oh scrap that one idea that's never going to work for them um because ultimately it's their call anyways it's not mine so if i hear three different ideas for a song it sure i could do all three for myself (laughs) but eventually they're going to pick one of them so you Mm. might as well not waste both people's time and see if you can get towards that goal a little faster Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Have you ever felt that you needed to kind of fight for an idea? That you're like, you just yeah, you need oh, to give this sure. a chance? <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, and it, it, that that's very artist-dependent. Like some artists, you can tell if you just like shake them and say, please, this is going to be so fucking amazing. If you just, for you, not for me, for you, you're going to love it. <laughs> uh, like some, you just know some people are, will, will take to that kindly. And other people, if their ego is, is a certain type, you're like, eh, I'm not even going to bother mm. because they're not they're They're going to think this conversation is something that it isn't like for me, if I'm ever fighting for something, it is only because I think, it's the best thing for the song and for the artist. And I'm not trying to make my own solo record with this person, you know? Um, but, but, you know, it, it's an artist's choice ultimately. Um, but yeah, I, I fight for stuff a lot. Yeah. Are you going to make a solo record? I did make it. I just haven't even put it out yet. I have like, <laughs> it's like a five or six song EP. I've had, I've had it done for like a year and I have like this small label that's interested in it. I still have like a checklist of boring things to do of like artwork and get, and I just go, ah, I'm done. I'm not, I can't do it. It's, <laughs> I, I don't know how anybody does that. I'm so bored by the last stages of just getting it done, but I need to do it. Cause I like it. I think there's some cool stuff on there. It's I'll probably do it. I, I got to do it. Isn't uh, that what the label's supposed to do anyway? Finish it. Yeah, for they, you? They, I know you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but then they'll like do some artwork and I won't like it. And they'll be like, well, we told you to find a guy, you know, I don't know. I, don't know. I still have stuff I have to do. Does yeah. anyone look at artwork anymore? Do you look at album art? No, that's a good point. Maybe he doesn't need any. 
You just put your name on it, black and white, done. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I like where your head's at. You know? <laughs> Let's talk about guide tracks. Okay. Do you prefer a fully fleshed out demo or would you rather it be sparser with just written instructions? Is there kind of a, how I rough mean, can it be in for a you? Perfect world. No one would ever give me a guide track, but there's a caveat, meaning I don't mind guide tracks at all. Um, it, it all has to do with how open that person is. Um, the reason I love guide tracks sometimes is because if the artist isn't ultimately that open-minded, then that means I have a better clear roadmap of what they won't want. And I haven't wasted a whole lot of time. Um, the, the problem is, is if somebody doesn't give you any guide drums and they say, do your thing, we love what you do. Mm. And then you do what you do and they go, Oh, well, we didn't think you played like that. I'm like, yeah, it's because you haven't heard all the songs I've played on. You've only listened to like three albums that you like that I played on and you think that's who I am. Um, and that's a, that's the problem with doing enough albums is that usually people think of you as one thing. They don't realize you're all these other things. And they assume, oh, I know exactly what Aaron Sterling will do on this song. And they're wrong a lot of times because mm. um, I don't even know what they think I'll do because I don't know who they think I am. It's this weird mind game. So that's that's why I'm grateful for guide tracks a lot, simply because it's a good way to understand where their head is at. Um, but yeah, if everybody was like really open-minded and just thought, man, I'd love for you to do what you think is best, I would love to not have to hear any guide drums. It'd be great. I would just do what I want, send it to them. And if, and if they had some revisions or whatever, that'd be great. But that's like a fantasy world that doesn't exist. So what would be in your highlight reel then? If someone said, what is Aaron Sterling? What does he sound like? I have no idea. I don't <laughs> think I could answer that question. I don't even know. I, the, that's such a deep philosophical question because my job is to like serve songs. So right. I know I sound like something. Every single musician has a sound and I recognize mm. that. And yet, you know, I'm trying to uh, mold myself to help other people out. And I like that a lot. I just think it's so fun, but I have no idea. I, I don't know what I would pick at all. I, I'd leave that to somebody else, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's stressful to think about. Now, who would be, I don't know, let's say top three influences that have kind of shaped what you do directly? Yeah. Yeah, in, in terms of not necessarily favorite drummer, but just yeah, somebody that but you think, the, yeah. If you think, oh, wow, I'm doing kind of this drummer type thing often, or this is definitely coming from this type of a world. God, I don't even know anymore. I feel like that's the kind of question I could have answered 10 years ago. I, I don't even know. I mean, I, there's, there's, I guess there's too many to mention, maybe is my mm -hmm. best answer. There's so many amazing drummers. And then it also goes way beyond drums. Now that I'm doing the recording thing, there's all these engineers that I look up to that ultimately I, I hear how they make things sound. And I think, wow, that, that had an impact on me clearly. Um, yeah. Engineers, producers, oh God, I, I, I don't even think I'd want to mention a single person. There's too many in there. And I'm too obsessed with the entire world of like making records. I, mm -hmm. I try to pay attention to as much stuff as possible. And I know to some extent, everything has had some kind of impact on me. Um, Fair enough. Good or bad. Yeah, I don't know. So if I said this track is going to be classic 80s, what would what record would you pull out as a reference? 
That's tough, dude, because I've had so I've made so many records where people say that phrase and they're all and they're very different. Mm -hmm. So I that's that's like a, a big discussion that happens a lot where like it's like one person's thinking Lynn drum like Prince or one person's thinking like Simmons drums or, or they're thinking Duran Duran or they're thinking like Simple Minds is an interesting example where it's like actually normal drum set, super high snare um but just crap loads of reverb and then even the reverb is a debatable thing you could do gated reverb like phil collins but that's extremely different than sort of like the david foster big epic mm -hmm. reverbs uh, so i don't know i would literally be like you got to tell me more before i <laughs> before i start making any choices it could mean anything it's amazing it is a crazy decade what about 90s someone said very 90s thing I'd say the same thing because that could mean like, like sort of the um, third eye blind smash mouth, like that kind of sound or whatever that is, or it could just be full on grunge. And even grunge had like, think of like the Allison Chains drum sound versus like Soundgarden. Those are very different drum sounds. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, there, I don't think there's anything. If you really take this stuff seriously, there's no decade that has one sound. It's just, just a crap load of different, like subtle differences that add up eventually. Uh, also the nineties is like, dude, think about all the R and B, like the Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Like mm -hmm. it's just, I don't know. It depends. <laughs> it's kind of weird how we have a like false memory of it all being so homogenized. I think of eighties. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like even <laughs> the eighties, people say, "Oh, eighties." I'm like, dude, that could mean anything. Yeah. Guns and Roses. <laughs> exactly, dude. Guns and Roses does not really sound a whole lot like George Michael, and yet they were <laughs> happening at the exact same time. And, and they were REM. <laughs> REM is a great example because that is the most jangly. Like that sound is so indie rock, even to this day. Or like Sonic Youth. I mean, that's. Sonic Youth was probably the biggest in the 80s. Not even, I mean, they were big in the 90s for sure. But like, dude, that stuff is some hardcore garage rock shit. It's incredible. I don't know. It's just endless. But that's what I, I, it's what I think is funny. Like people will try to distill it to one sound. But yeah, like you said, it's not that homogenized. No generation is really. Now, am I observing a trend currently to go back to cleaner sounds? the kind of crisper cleaner drum sounds or am i just observing is it just a, with, with me or in a general sense um in general i mean i think the mayor record is kind of a good example of this pretty yeah. clean pretty crisp i mean certainly a throwback kind of sound to that whatever we all think the 80s are right yeah i think there's definitely it does feel like there's a lot i mean certainly in pop music right now so much is is sample driven anyways, which could lend itself to being very digital, very clean anyways. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a, a response to that. I don't know. I work on so much stuff that like, it's hard for me to know if there's one specific trend. Cause I, I do a lot of stuff that's still sort of in the indie lo-fi kind of category where the drums have to sound very understated and lo-fi. But then I do like, I do a lot of country pop and that's a very specific crazy hi-fi sound mm -hmm. um so i don't know yeah I, i'm not really sure I, I really wonder where things are headed over the next 10 years i don't think i really have any idea mm -hmm. there's so much in the air right now <laughs> like i don't know it's hard to say 
What is your your go to snare for that modern country open wide open honky drum? Yeah, I actually think I could answer that. I have a couple, like for the big, just like it's got crack and it's got beef and it's wide open all that stuff. I have a few. Um, there's three drums that I use the most for that type of thing: the sugar um, yellow snare, that one. Mm-hmm. There's an A and F snare that somebody gave to me long story i won't get into but it's in honor of a friend of mine who passed away named busby um and he it they etched his face on the drum with the laser it was very very cool man it's like the most touching thing so that anf drum actually does that job really well it's a brass i think i think so i guess i didn't ask but it's heavy metal Mm. brass, i guess but it's six it's like a six by 14 that thing does that sound really, really well. And then there's another drum. Um, oh no, what do they call? Oh no, oh crap. I'm gonna remember the name. It's a it's a French Canadian company. They made this aluminum. Um, Ebenor, part. is that Ebenor? Yes, thank you, God. <laughs> you. Oh my God, I'm getting older. <laughs> that aluminum drum is stupid. It's so good. It's just got this low end that even when you tune it up, it's it's really good. Those three do that type of sound really, really well for me. And is that a, a higher tuning? I think it's kind of deceiving how to get that sound. Is that a higher tuning? I, f- I feel like it's kind of like a higher-ish tuning, but on specific types of drums that already have a low end fundamental to it. Mm. It's a bit of a puzzle for me too, but I notice if I go too low, I mean, it depends on the song and I've said that a billion times, but yeah, if I go too low, it starts becoming not the sound. Mm -hmm. It's like, you still have to have this snap to it. But if you do that on a shorter drum, it's too snappy. Um, Yeah. So I had to, I, I found a few drums that do that thing where you can tune up just enough, but when you hit it, it's, you still feel like it's got this like, you know, chest low end type of thing to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a elusive sound. It really, yeah. is. and a lot of times, dude, there's samples on top of that. Um, Cause even when I kill it and I really make it sound great, I'll hear it on the radio and be like, yeah, I hear like 20% extra, some gunshot sample that they put on top. <laughs> Cause it is what it is, man. It's just like, that's the sound they're going for. So sometimes I also don't worry too much about it. Meaning it's got to sound great, but I know that the ultimate goal is not physically possible with just a drum in a room. Sometimes mm. it's just not. And like to try to make that happen is like, okay, good luck, but they're going to add samples to it. So it is what it is. Or sometimes you, I'll add the sample, you know, it just depends. Are you careful to kind of tune it to the song to make sure it sits right when they throw a sample on or you just get it to sound yeah, good? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, if it's super wide open, I, I, I always make sure that that note is somehow sensitive to the key of the song, um, whether it's the fifth or the third or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, if it's really wide open, you kind of do have to be careful because mm-hmm. it's amazing how if it's just like kind of close to the key, but flat, it just it's an uncomfortable feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's part of it. Well, let's talk about your sample library. OK, sure. Why it's called denim and dust, right? Yeah, yeah. Why those sounds? Honestly, man, I just I tried not to overthink it. I was mm. just thinking, like, I want to make another sample library. I looked around the room and I I was inspired by this new bass drum I got, uh, old leady drum 
with calf skin heads. And I, and I realized I had a bunch of drums like that with the calf skin heads and I use that stuff here and there. Um, but I wish I used it more. And I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just make a library with only these types of drums and it won't be that comprehensive. It's not going to be some crazy thing. I'll just make it cheap, but just big enough that when you pull up the files, you're like, Oh, there's some good stuff in here. And I, and I wanted to do something with more loops. I hadn't done much of that recently. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I didn't really overthink it. It just, the, the sounds to me are so inspiring. Um, um, that I was just kind of going with the moment, I suppose. So would you suggest using those sounds? Like if I were to buy that and I wanted to use them, should I layer them with triggers? Should I use them for programming? Should I, I, I use them all of the above. Uh, um, all of the above. I know a lot of people who are using them as supplemental, you know, yeah, they're, they're triggering them and they're just using them as supplemental samples if they have a small room. Uh, some of it was also because the, these have a lot of sustain and they were done in a big room. Um, so I like the idea of helping people out who are in a smaller room who want those kinds of tones and may even own drums like that, but they don't respond in their room that way mm -hmm. because it's a smaller place or they don't have enough mics. So the idea of like saying, let me hook you up like this, these sounds are kind of big and they can just kind of go on top of what you already have. Um, I, th I think that's cool. Um, but yeah, they, I know plenty of people who are just using them in songwriting demos and uh, they're not, they're not supplementing at all. They're just using the loops or their programming or, or whatever. So you can use them for all of the above. Have you been given a demo where you have to replace yourself? <laughs> oh yeah. Hundreds of times. Hundreds yeah. Of times. yeah. I will tell you, I made, I made a sample library, whatever that was five years ago. And that was used a ton by people. And it actually made my life so much easier because they would say, we really like the demo. And I'd be like, I'm well, I already, I know exactly what the kick drum is and what the snare drum is. Not that we had to replicate it, but it, it, sometimes they would say, do you mind just using the same stuff? But because they're like, oh, you, all we have is this loop. Like we don't have any human fills. We don't have anything that's responsive to the actual song. I would just try to like put up the same stuff and I could usually get it pretty, pretty close to what the sample was, yeah. Mm. that's actually it's I, I i always love that because now i already know how to get that sound yeah that's pretty funny now, what yeah. about the shelf life like i think of like a hip-hop producer like if they get the new samples they want to use them first and then they never want to use them again yeah do you find you kind of wear them out quickly or yeah i mean well as a user of other stuff i have tried and true libraries that i've been using for like 10 years mm. i don't know why but there's some stuff that i like really stick to um i have some like timbaland samples maybe they're illegal maybe i shouldn't have said that um <laughs> but like i have a couple some missy elliott stuff something from that world there's ridiculously organic and also really like radio like it's just the weirdest thing i love that stuff so as a user i i stick with a lot of stuff that i have but I can definitely see how there's also a trendy aspect to it. And from a guy who makes them like, you know, I, I can see how sales, they, they start really big and then they sort of dwindle and then dwindle more and then they kind of go up and then they go down and it is what it is. Like, yeah, I mean, these people enjoy getting new samples. And so mm -hmm. I certainly don't expect people to like be buying this library at the same rate in 10 years, you know, 
which is why you kind of just do it. I just make it and I'm try to stay inspired and make something that I think people will be into and, you know, just do what you do. Uh, but I, I have, I have a few libraries I still use to this day for sure. What is your, um, programming method of choice? Do you like to use like a hardware piece, like a MPC or just a regular no, keyboard? I, or? I've tried all the hardware stuff, um, because it's so fun in my head, the idea of doing it that way. And it, the workflow just kills me. It just takes too much time. And mm. I, and it, it, it's, and I, and I'm kind of obsessed with workflow because I don't want to phone anything in. But if something is taking me too long, I will start phoning it in. And that's bad for the song. Mm -hmm. So for me, as long as the workflow is good, I will always be putting more of my effort into making sure the song sounds good. So for that reason, pretty much all of my programming is just in the box, Logic, EXS, Sampler, and then I use my keyboard. And I just, I usually perform everything. Mm. I, I don't, I never do drag and drop ever. I just perform um, as if it's an instrument just throughout the song. All right. Back to the, um, the, the nerdy gear talk. Yeah, what, sure. What are, well, first of all, are you still using that Ludwig kit? You, I think you mentioned in one of your master classes that that was your desert island kit. Um, I got, I guess it depends on what I was referring to. I have a lot of Ludwig kits. It was the, um, the black oyster. Oh yeah. Yeah. I absolutely. Absolutely. It's in my studio now. I don't think it's set up right now, but yeah, I still use it. It's awesome. Would that still be the one if you can only have one kit that would cover all the bases? I suppose so. I'd be disappointed because it's, it's so great, but it's also so middle of the road. I wouldn't actually call it my most, it's not my most inspiring kit. It's not mm. what I sit down and, and really want to play the drums on. It's just, it's the one that would do the job the best in terms of all the different types of songs. Uh, but there's, there's drum sets. I'd probably be more excited to play. Um, What's one of I, those? Well, I have, there's a, there's a round badge kit that I like. It's tw 20. Oh, wait, the 22. Fuck. I don't even know. Yeah. I think, no, no, it's tw sorry. 20, 13, 16. Okay. And I like that. I really fall in love with that kit more and more every time I use it. Um, Maybe something like that r rather than the Ludwig, but the Ludwig would get used the most. What's the last kit or snare that you, you added to your collection? Well, the last drum I bought was a 26 or four. I forget just one of those old Ludwig marching uh, kick drums, but it's what, what do you call it? aluminum? It's, it's not mm. wood. It's like the full aluminum kind. Yep. And I've been using it like on so many songs. It sounds so good just as a normal, like punchy kick drum. It's ridiculous. Really? Yeah. And it's ugly and it has no front head and it's beat up, but God, it sounds so good. Um, I got that recently. And then I bought a couple different Kent snare drums cause I've become obsessed with those cause everyone I buy for some reason, sounds so good in every song i use i don't know if it's like i have like this connection with these the way these drums sound so i have like three or four kents those are those have been the recent purchases i've never played those are those kind of lo-fi funky weird sounding what what do they bring that's what you think that's what i always think there would be but they're <laughs> not they like have this high-end sizzle i'm telling you it's the weirdest thing if you don't hit them hard they speak better in like a 
a song where where maybe a snare drum isn't you're not hearing it or you're not hearing the presence like you'd be playing some like brass beauty or whatever and you're like ah i don't quite have the presence i need then you put up this weird broke ass like wooden cardboard kent drum and then it has like this frequency that pops out it's like somebody eq'd and compressed the first snare i i don't get it it keeps happening to me it's like it's this consistent with snares i don't know what it is <laughs> is it with every kent you come across yes so far they're all different but they all do the same thing where i'm like is somebody like messing with me or something like i feel like like i'm on a hidden camera show it's really weird and they weigh like a half a pound you just like pick them up and they're like it's i don't get it man it's really weird is there something that you've gotten rid of that you wish you didn't no and i get rid of stuff all the time i've never regretted a single piece of gear i've ever sold or given away never is there a I mean, piece I may of joke gear? about it but I, in in truth no i do not care at all was there a piece of gear that you wish you liked but just didn't that's a great question i i no, but there is a snare drum that i wish somebody could at least explain to me what i'm missing is the bonham you would know what they're called like what is the big deep bonham superphonic or maybe it's not a superphonic what's that what's that holy grail snare oh the um bell brass not the bell brass the actual john bonham like blue and olive badge like oh yeah yeah that's a superphonic it's a superphonic but it's it's the the deep one right yep yep okay so how i feel about a 5 by 14 superphonic is it's like what it's, it's, it's the greatest thing ever right every time i play those deep superphonics i'm like i don't know what is happening i it sounds like garbage <laughs> maybe i've just never played a, a one that was tuned the way i would want it to but i don't get that at all and of course i understand why john bonham sounds the like the greatest drummer ever so it's but me like when i hit it i don't know what i'm doing i don't know what's happening it sounds horrible actually i would say the same thing for the deep black beauties too i love a deep drum but for some reason the iconic drums when they're sixes or six and a half as opposed to five i i never like them i don't know why that is interesting yeah what's your thought on snare wires do you like the wide 42 strands or are you just like 12 16 you know believe it or not maybe you can't i don't think i've ever bought snare wires in my life i buy snare drums and then whatever's on the bottom of them is what i just keep them i don't think i've ever bought snares in my life and i don't mean it like because they give them to me no they don't i don't know who would i don't even know who makes them i don't know anything about it um i've definitely had like yeah no the 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 worst thing that ever happened was maybe you know how the wires will start falling off yeah I've had a few of those and then I look and I go, oh, there's like two snares left, but then fine. Then the bougie answer would be my drum tech would switch them out. But that's only happened a handful of times in like 25 years. Like I've never bought, I'm like, why would you buy them? They already have them on there. <laughs> so, so I obviously I've played every type of snare wire possible because I've owned so many drums, but I've never chosen one before. So I don't know. Fair enough. Is yeah. the Acrylite still getting a lot of, Active all the duty. time, every day, yeah. Well, not every day, but yeah, all the time. Is it still tuned super low? Yeah, that I have two acrylites. One gets to change and go up and down and do whatever it wants. One always stays the exact same way. Is that the orange one? 
the orange one never changes. Yeah. <laughs> the head does not change. The tape does not change. It's just too perfect the way it is. It's like a character that has to be that way. And then the other one is fun to just play around with and it'll, it'll be a million different characters. How often do you change drum heads or do you break a drum head? Not too often, but, but because I have enough drums, it's, I mean, I would say I change a drum head once every three to four weeks. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's not very often. I don't break many heads at all. No. And I have so many drums that nobody's getting hit that much. If, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like it's just, there's not this one drum that's just being smacked to death all the time. And I'm just constantly shifting because of all these different types of songs. So yeah, it's just here and there. I'll have to change a snare or, a, or I'll finally look at some floor Tom and be like, good Lord, this thing is beat to death. You know? <laughs> Um, it doesn't happen that often. Do you keep your drums like in the room so you can grab them and go, or do you want to have them kind of out of sight so you don't get too confused? The way this room works is I have a downstairs and an upstairs loft and the upstairs is where like I do, I have a, a dead drum setup. So I have two drum setups, but next to that, the rest of that room is a, like not all of my drums, but all the drums that I keep mm -hmm. for this studio setup. So they're all upstairs, basically. Um, so I'll have one kit downstairs, and that's, and then one kit upstairs, and then everything else is just floating on upstairs. So if I need to change my downstairs kit, I already know what I want in my head, probably. Mm -hmm. So I just go up there, go up downstairs, go back and forth a few times, and I'm good to go. All right, man. Thank you for chatting for an hour. So are yeah. we, can we expect any more master classes or sample libraries? What in the future from you? Uh, I, I would love to, I would love to like make like two sample libraries a year. I feel like that would be fun to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I keep toying around with the idea of doing another one of those sound of Sterloid masterclasses, but honestly, I start before all this, you know, uh, pandemic bullshit. Um, I was doing these in person, like, uh, I would call them King dojos. Cause I, I was trying to make fun of the word masterclass, but, um, uh, but they're really fun. And I honestly kind of enjoyed doing that more than filming, man, the filming of that stuff is so like hard for somebody like me, just mentally. It's like, what am I doing with my, it's so hard. So, but the idea of like booking a day and having like a full day with say 10 people, I've tried a few different methods, but man, the last method I had worked really, really well. I thought it was really cool for those people. Cool for me. Um, so I think I'm going to do more of those. I, I do think I'll probably book a few more, uh, next year. Mm. Uh, it's tough though, because it's like, I, I just, I really like doing them, but it, it costs money for these people. And then it's just it sucks because of the time we're at right now. Cause you have a lot of people strapped for cash. So I'm just trying to figure out the best way to do it so that it's good for me, but also, uh, sensitive to all those people who are like dealing with all this shit. So, mm. um, that's the only kind of hesitation right now, but I think I'll probably do more of those. I would love to do them in a few different cities too. That was, that was the original goal before 2020. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. I, right, I well, in the that. meantime, put that damn record out. <laughs> hey, exactly. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah. Will you do the artwork, please? Send it to me. Anything. Sure. I got some, I can do a uh, Microsoft word done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 All right. Thanks, Aaron. Absolutely, man. Really good to see you. 
That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, please go over to iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, and drop us a five-star rating and a review if you don't mind. That helps spread the word and gets this show into the ears of more drummers around the world. Until next week, have a good one. Go practice. See you then.